0: Don't try to tell me that when Peter uses the word sober in verse 7 that he's contrasting the drunkard's life. Now, we all know what a drunkard looks like and behaves like as you think of him staggering down the street, and he's, what we would say, out of it. He is just in another world, and he is so filled with his liquor, and his mind is so affected by the power of alcohol That he's the happiest man in the world not a sorrow in his mind welcome to let the bible speak this is pastor ian goliher and today we come to a very solemn message on first peter chapter 4 verse 7 on be of sober mind a sober mind and i want to read to you this passage first peter 4 just to get you into the context of what the Apostle Peter was telling these young Christians. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the loss of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revellings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of, your, of you. Who shall give account of him that is ready? to judge the quick and the dead. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. This call of the apostle Peter to having a sober mind is really very important in the generation in which we live. This is an easy of light things. This is an age when people want to have convenience. Don't ask me to think too hard. Don't give me a long sermon. Keep it short. Let's have a nice, happy time. And that's the era of today. But the Apostle Peter warned these Christians that they were to be sober-minded. And we're going to look today in our message. At what all of that means. And I hope that you'll stay tuned with us right through. We've got some very serious things to say on this passage of God's Word. Now, we don't have time for our uh, little study in the Psalms today because of the length of this message and the uh, uh, continuity of this message. I want to give it in its fullest form I can in the time allowed. But uh, we're going straight there after prayer. Please join with me now in prayer as we look to the Lord. Father, we thank Thee for the Word of God. We thank Thee for this Bible that we have in our hands. It is the living Word of the living God. And what a miracle that we should have this Word that is God-breathed. It is the divinely authoritative Word of God to our hearts. And I pray that it will be a living Word today to each and every hearer. And, O Lord, this call to be sober-minded, I pray that You will use this in hearts, even in this message today, Lord, I thank Thee for the gospel, and I thank Thee for the Lord Jesus, and I thank Thee for the freedom to proclaim Your Word today. Make it a blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse seven really is our focus tonight. Uh, I know that we're we're looking at this whole chapter, and we are seeking to understand all of the passage in its parts, and its divisions, and its connections. But verse 7, uh, I think, will really set our theme tonight. Uh, the word is that the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. What is a Christian? You'll notice the word Christian comes up in this chapter, and uh, that's the first thing that we need to define. We could go a long way to examine what is a Christian? A Christian is a saint. A Christian is a soldier. A Christian is a sheep. A Christian is described in this chapter as a sufferer. Down in verse 16, if any man suffer as a Christian. And then here in verse 7, we find that a Christian is to be sober, One that has been changed by the power of the cross. That's the definition of a Christian. We learned that last week from verse 1. We are to arm ourselves with this mind, and that mind is the mind of our Lord Jesus going to the cross. And we are to be armed, we are to be equipped with the knowledge of what was accomplished and what the Lord did for us at Calvary. The cross is our starting point and it is our finishing line. We are to keep our eyes upon our crucified Lord Jesus. Then in verse 2, we see that a Christian is one that has been delivered and separated from the lust of this world, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men. What kind of gospel would we have if people said, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, and they still lived exactly the old, worldly, lusting life in the very quagmire of sin? And surely it is a given that every Christian's testimony is, I have new life in Christ. Now, Peter has a word for this new life or new way of living. And he calls it sober, verse 7. Be ye therefore sober. Now, the word sober here is the exact opposite to the word riotous in verse 4, where it talks about the same excess of riot. Now, riot is not throwing stones and smashing windows and all of that. It is just abandoned lifestyle living to the flesh, riotous living. It's the prodigal's life. And if you think of the prodigal with all the riches that he leaves home, and he abandons all morality and rules of, of uh, decency, and he goes into the far country and leads a life of riotous living. When the Bible speaks about riotous living, it is just to abandon all and plunge into excess of all kinds and leading a sinner's life. Now, after all of these references in verse 3, which talks about the excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, don't try to tell me that when Peter uses the word sober in verse 7 that he's contrasting the drunkard's life. Now, we all know what a drunkard looks like and behaves like as you think of him staggering down the street, and he's, what we would say, out of it. He is just in another world, and he is so filled with his liquor, and his mind is so affected by the power of alcohol that he's the happiest man in the world. Not a sorrow in his mind. And in his slouching voice, he tries to sing and he just comes up to you and he throws his arms around you and he tells you, I'm so happy today. All oh, the scene of the drunkard. And he is by no means in touch with reality. He is intoxicated. His brain has been poisoned and his whole system is a wreck. I knew a farm worker who would work from Monday morning to Saturday noontime, from sunup to sundown. And at noontime on Saturday, he would go to the farmer and get his wages, and off he would go to the pub. And by evening, he was as drunk as a fish and as poor as a beggar. Not a penny left. And it took from Saturday night to Monday morning to get him sobered up and back to work again. No wonder the Bible tells us that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. In verse 7, we have a call to sober living. That's the Christian's life. Sober living. Last week, we had a call to arms, to arm ourselves with the mind of the cross. Tonight, we have this call to sober living. And my outline is this, the call to sober living, the meaning of sober living, the reproach of sober living, and then the motivations of sober living. We start here with the call. You'll notice in verse 7 that it is a command. It is an imperative in Scripture, be ye therefore sober. That is to be the lifestyle of the Christian. And Peter doesn't give professing Christians an option. He doesn't say to you, well, you can live riotously to some degree. No, he says, you are commanded to be sober. He lays it on the line. The born-again Christian is called to a life of godly living that will adorn the gospel. The old life is to be given up. And he says here, verse 3, for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. We serve the flesh long enough, We gave too many years, too many opportunities to serve the flesh. Now, we are called to sober living. Now, there are only two ways to live. Verse 2, according to the lusts of men. Or verse 3, according to the will of God. The will of God. What are you doing tonight? Are you living according to the flesh? Or are you seeking to walk and do the will of God. Now, this is not legalism. This is not a religion of salvation by works. But rather, it is, as we learned last week, based on the victory of the cross. If the cross has done its work in you, and you have been impacted by its message and its power, convicting you, converting you, and you have entered into, you have died with Christ. You are now also in resurrection ground with Him. There's going to be this new life, not by works, but by the power of the gospel. Now, sadly, we are living in times when evangelicals have settled for a worldly Christianity, and they will accept people who profess that they're Christians, and they live according to the flesh. Now, this is not New Testament Christianity. In 1 Peter 1.16, you have the exhortation, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's God's word to every one of us tonight. We are called to this life of holiness. Now, if you turn with me to Titus chapter 2, And verse 14, you will see here uh, another plea for a new life. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. This is the death of Christ, and this is the cross. And I don't think you can miss the fact that if you've been to the cross, you're going to get a new life. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify himself A peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, if someone tells us, well, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to live a new life. I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to change my life. I don't want to give up the world. I don't want to cease from the riotous living the worldly, carnal, fleshly way of living according to the lusts of the old nature, such a person is not saved, has never known the power of the gospel within his own soul. Another passage that comes into this is Matthew 7 and verse 15, the close of the Sermon on the Mount where the Lord Jesus warns this profession, but no possession. Matthew seven fifteen. Beware of false prophets which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns <clears throat> or figs of thistles? Even so, Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, and here's the punchline, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them, You're professing, Christian, there's going to be new fruit. Not always perfect, not always to the degree that we would wish, but there's going to be good fruit. And then verse 21, the warning, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Underline it. Let's learn that. Let's get it into our heads tonight. Let's accept that the Christian life is every man seeking to do the will of God, not living according to the lust of the flesh. And then here comes the warning that I fear applies to modern evangelicalism today. Many will say to me in that day, "Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and done and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works?" And then, will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me. Why? Not because of the supposed miracles, not because of the supposed works, but because they work iniquity. They work iniquity. They remain in a life that is riotous. The lusts of the flesh are ruling and reigning in them. They have never been changed by the power of the gospel. Now, when a church brings in a rock concert to gather a crowd, and some of these concerts are more worldly and more rock-orientated than others, but the moment that you entertain, the very idea that you're going to entertain to get a crowd, whether it's the youth or the older we have departed from the great principle of the Bible that we are called to sober living. Now, how real is this? How truthful is my uh, fear concerning Christians? Well, we had, uh, is it two years now since there was a church in Abbotsford where the Rave party? where they were dancing up and down, and the swaying and motion of the church floor caused it to crash, almost like Samson pulling down the pillars of uh, the, the temple. We've had the River Rock Concert here in Cloverdale in the rodeo grounds last summer, August, I believe, organized by the Billy Graham Organization, with Franklin Graham as the speaker, but they brought in these rock concerts. I could hear the music from my home. Maybe you did too. We get these invitations into our church all the time. I got one this week. It's probably in the trash can right now. I could show it to you. Where we are invited to these particular concerts, that's what they call them, concerts, and you just get one look at the artists, their very coat of dress tells you that's, that's just the rock star world. This is real stuff. This is reality. And you and I are bombarded with this. I, as a pastor, I am faced. This comes on my desk. It comes through the meal. It gets in the church mailbox. It comes on my desk. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to bring it to the board meeting and say, brethren, what do you think? Should we have one of these? I think the deacons would have a very long look at me. And I wouldn't like to dictate what would end up in the minutes if I was to do that. But this is the pressure from all kinds of organizations to bring the world into church ministry. We now have a task to evangelize the church. You know what I'm getting at? A generation growing up in church circles where they do church in their way. But I fear that many will be said to them, they will say, Lord, Lord, have we not? And the Lord will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity." Right in their church, the church that was ordained for prayer, the church that was ordained for godly worship is now turned into a place of entertainment. Now, there was a time when such statements almost seemed scare tactics. And I'm reluctant to preach that way. I really am. I, I do not want to be one of these preachers that I've got the name of, you know, he, he's always got a nose for speculating some little bit of compromise somewhere. But this is not speculation. This is reality. You send your children to Christian school and you'll find out that's how it is. And a Christian school will only be as good as the churches from which the teachers come from, and they bring their values and their level of spirituality or worldliness right into the classroom. This is the generation that we are living. But here is a call to sober living. Now what is the meaning of sober living? Let me give you a simple definition, and then I want to prove it from Scripture. The simple definition of sober here in 1 Peter 4.7 is to have a godly mind, a godly mind. Now, remember what we learned in verse 1. Arm yourselves with this mind, or this truth, this fact. This is a battle of the mind. And here, this word sober is a full cousin to the word mind. In verse 13 of chapter 1, what I called the key verse of the whole book of 1 Peter, you have this, wherefore get up the loins of your mind. And I explained that when you have wearing flowing dresses and you want to run as an athlete, you got to roll up those flowing garments. But notice. The word that comes immediately after, geared up the loins of your mind, be sober. Be sober. It's related to the state of our minds. Now, I have a number of references. I have four different references. I want you to join with me now in flicking through some of these. Romans 12, 3, firstly. And you will see the relationship, the correlation between The mind and this word sober. Uh, Romans 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So it's undoubtedly the way we think. It's the state of our mind. We're not to think highly about ourselves, but to think soberly. It's a part of our process of the mind. The next text is Titus chapter 2 and verse 2. I probably would have done you a favor if I have said earlier, keep Titus a marker right in Titus. We'll be back. Well, Titus 2 verse 2. And we have this word to men who would be elders in the church, men who are to be spiritual leaders, that the aged men be sober. Sober. Grave. Now, the word sober in that context, if you have a little uh, marginal input there, is the word vigilant. Vigilant, watching. Sober is the state of your mind of watchfulness. And that applies to the men. And you'll notice right before that, but speak the things which become sound doctrine. Let the aged men be sober. You see the connection here. Sound doctrine, be vigilant. Don't let down your guard. And so this word sober is very connected to truth. Titus 2.4, here's a reference to the women, that they may teach the young women to be sober. Now in my Bible, without even going to a concordance or anything, right in the reference margin of my Bible, there's a little number that goes from the word sober, and it says wise. Teach the young women that they be wise. So uh, consistently in the Bible, we see here this word sober is used over and over, and it's connected to the state of our mind. Sobriety is related to wisdom and the application of wisdom. Then verse 6, you have the young men. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Sober-minded. And again, in my Bible, there is a reference to the word discreet. But the very fact that it says sober-minded, to be careful in how they decide, how they think, how they live, according to God's truth. Now, please note that Paul did not say to Titus, this young pastor, tell the young man to go and sow their oats, have a great time, enjoy the world, and then come back and join the church. Not for a moment. He said, the young man, you are to be sober minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. You see the young men or even teenagers, They, through the power of the cross, through the power of the gospel, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, are enabled by God's grace to live godly, soberly, wisely, as a pattern, an example. And it was Paul's word to Timothy, be thou an example. Let no man despise thy youth. And if you're a young Christian here tonight, you can be an example even to your parents. It's not the first time that has happened, that young people get a grasp of truth and they lead their parents or they lead their seniors into the truth. And so the meaning of the word sober is to think aright, think biblically, think godly. And we come back to our little statement that sober means to have a godly mind.